better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Welcome back to Parsha Podcast. It's a great joy to be with you once again. And I'm going to be introducing a new feature this week based on some feedback. Thank you for those who have sent in feedback. And once again, I want to ask everybody who's listening, please send in your, your comments, your thoughts, questions, ideas for improvement. These are all very important to me. So one of the new things I want to start today is a summary of the entire Parsha, a brief Parsha in a nutshell, and then move on to uh, the topic that we'll be zeroing in on to anal- analyze and unpack. So, summary of the Parsha brought to you courtesy of Chabad.org. The last three the last three of the ten plagues are visited on Egypt. A swarm of locusts devours all the crops and greenery. A thick, palpable darkness envelops the land. And all the firstborn of Egypt are killed at the stroke of midnight of the 15th of the month of Nisan. God commands the first mitzvah to be given to the people of Israel to establish a calendar based on the monthly rebirth of the moon. The Israelites are also instructed to bring a Passover offering to God, a lamb or kid goat is to be slaughtered, and its blood sprinkled on the doorposts and lintel of every Israelite home, so that God should pass over these homes when he comes to kill the, the Egyptian firstborn, hence the name Passover. The roasted meat of the offering is to be eaten that night together with matzah, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. The death of the firstborn finally breaks Pharaoh's resistance, and he literally drives the children of Israel from his land. So hastily do they depart that there is no time for their dough to rise, and the only provisions they take along are unleavened bread. Before they go, they ask their Egyptian neighbors for gold, silver, and garments, fulfilling the promise made to Abraham, that Hashem made to Abraham, that his descendants would leave Egypt with great wealth. The children of Israel are commanded to consecrate all firstborn and to observe the anniversary of the Exodus each year by removing all leaven from their possession for seven days, eating matzah, and telling the story of their redemption to their children. They're also commanded to wear tefillin on the arm and head as a reminder of the Exodus and the resultant commitment to God. Okay, that's the summary of the Parsha in a nutshell. What we're going to do today, we're going to be zeroing in on one of the more obscure elements of the Parsha, the Korban Pesach, the Pesach sacrifice, the young male sheep or goat that was slaughtered um, in order to kick off the celebration of the very first Passover in history. Now this was done historically every year once the Jews entered Egypt um, in the various forms of temples that existed during those times. And ever since the second temple was destroyed a little less than 2,000 years ago, we have not been able to fulfill this commandment of the Passover offering, the Pesach sacrifice each year. However, the lessons are definitely pertinent right now. We hope and pray that Mashiach will come soon, and God willing, by the time this year Pesach rolls around, we'll be able to bring the Pesach sacrifice in Jerusalem once again. So there is definitely something special about starting the life of the Jewish people as a nation with this mitzvah. This is the second mitzvah the Jewish people received. First was to establish a calendar and to, to mark time, to sanctify time. But the second mitzvah is the Pesach sacrifice. Not only historically was it important then, but it's also important for us now. 
This remains a fundamental layer of our spiritual lives. It is absolutely essential in being a Jew and becoming Jewish, and becoming a stronger, better Jew in our growth, in our ever ongoing process of growth as Jews, you must be able to sacrifice a sheep. And what do I mean by that? Not just literally, to slaughter a sheep does not take that much spiritual uh, integrity or inner work. What do we mean by this? Why would it be so significant then and now to slaughter a sheep or a goat? So let's explore some of the, some thoughts on the meaning of this mitzvah from our sages through the ages. That rhymes intentionally. Okay, so first of all, Ramban. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, also known sometimes as Nachmanides, lived in Spain and Israel around, I think, 700 years ago. So he writes as follows. Two points, he says, that make this so special. Number one, the astrological sign, astrology, Astrological? I think astrological sign um, of that time of year is Aries, which is a ram. Right? So that's what we're talking about here. A young male sheep or goat is uh, a ram, or at least a ram in the making. And so he says slaughtering a ram would symbolize that the exodus is not due to astrology, it's not due to good timing, it's not because of good luck that the Jews are leaving Egypt. It's rather only from Hashem. And to prove the point, we're actually going to slaughter the symbol of the astrological sign of this time. To symbolize, this doesn't count. We're, 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 we're slaughtering it. It's not an issue. It's not a, it's not a power. It's not a factor in our exodus right now. Another point is that the Midrash says that sheep were worshipped as deity, as gods in Egyptian culture. And so slaughtering the sheep... Um, basically is a, a very strong statement about who you accept as God. It weakens the pagan deities, and it demonstrates that there's only one true God. Now, what does this teach us? I think this teaches us that to be a Jew means to reject any thoughts of fortune, luck, astrology, or any other force or power having any sway over your life. There is nothing in the world that has any power over a person except for Hashem alone. Ein od milvado. There's nothing besides Hashem. It doesn't mean there's no other gods. It means there's no other power. That includes your boss. That includes your neighbor. It doesn't mean you shouldn't obey the law of the land when it's moral. Um, but it means that no other being, no other entity has any power or hold over a Jew. And that's a very important point. Obviously, that's a fundamental lesson in establishing who we are and how we operate in this world. We have one God, one power, no other power over us. Period. Another commentary, the Da'at Zikenim. Da'at Zikenim is a commentary on the Torah that was written approximately 800 years ago by a number of Talmudic scholars, who in addition to the Da'at Zikenim also wrote a running commentary on the Talmud known as the Tosfot. So they add an interesting point. Why was it necessary to take this lamb into your home in Egypt on the 10th of the month when you only needed to sacrifice it on the 14th of the month? So God tells the Jewish people, take it on the 10th, and that's four days early. Why take it four days early? So they explain the reason is because that way there would be enough time for the Egyptians to see all this hustle and bustle of Jews taking sheep or goats, and they would ask, what's going on? And the Jews would tell them, we are slaughtering 
um, this animal in gratitude to God for passing over, pass over our homes and not killing our firstborn. But your firstborn are going to be killed. And the Egyptians would hear this, and the Egyptians heard this, and they said, oh my God, that's crazy, we don't want to die. And they, a whole civil war broke out between the people arguing to let the Jews go so that we don't get walloped again, versus the, the stubborn Egyptians led by Pharaoh who said, no, Jews aren't going. And so there's a, there's a, there's a very strong statement in telling the people, we are slaughtering your God. We are slaughtering your deity, you know, to their faces. What does that teach us? So the Rebbe has a beautiful read on this on this teaching. And he says it's so important in our times. You know, Jews have always been the minority. Um, but sometimes the minority of, of Jews were um, protected from assimilation by persecution, ironically. And in most parts of the world nowadays, we're a minority still, but the doors of integration and assimilation are, are, are wide open to us. And so there's a greater temptation to blend in and to be agreeable with the surrounding prevailing culture. This fearlessness, the determination, the willingness to challenge the status quo that you see in this, in this episode, in the way this is described, that the Jews told the Egyptians, look what we're doing. We are going to slaughter the, the pagan deity that you worship this was the turning point that earned the Jewish people the right, the merit, to deserve leaving Egypt, to deserve the Exodus. It takes a lot of strength and faith and determination and courage to stick your neck out like that and tell your neighbors, we are doing something that not only is different from what you're doing, it's exactly the opposite. And we're doing so because we have a, we have a God who commanded us to do it, and so on. And so the same thing is true now. This lesson applies to us now. What happened in Egypt set the, set the course for all future liberations and exoduses, including, as we work towards Mashiach, our own need to be exodused, if that's a word, and liberated from our spiritual exile. We need to have the same approach. This toughness, this complete dedication and self-sacrifice, not to die for Hashem, but to live for Hashem, to be devoted to Hashem, and to rearrange our foundational axioms of how and why we live our lives in line with what Hashem wants us to do, need to be driven with this same sort of chutzpah, this same sort of, listen, we have an agenda, we have instructions from God, we don't really care if this is the popular, cultural, cool thing to do these days or not. We completely operate on a different level. And another example, another um, application of this is in interpersonal relationships. If you reach out to someone and engage with them and say, why don't you come with me to shul or join me at this class and so on. And you're trying to encourage them in their Judaism. Don't be discouraged if you're unsuccessful the first time or even if they get mad at you and a little bit annoyed. With firm determination and, and an unwillingness to accept the status quo, we will be successful. Each one of us will be successful in our efforts to change the world. And, you know, there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes is actually from uh, Calvin Coolidge, former president of the United States. And he said, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not, nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. 
Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan of press on has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. And I think this really summarizes this whole point. As Jews, it's so important, it's so fundamental to have that kind of persistence and determination at the core and at the foundation of our entire life, of our entire being. Everything we do has to be driven by that and colored by that. And we never become reasonable. We never accept the status quo. That's what it means to be Jewish. And as a famous, uh, not such a great friend of the Jews, but he once in a while, you know, even a broken clock is, tells the right time twice a day, George Bernard Shaw said, the unreasonable man is always the one making change in the world. Why? Because the reasonable man is reasonable. So he adapts himself to reality. The unreasonable man, because he's unreasonable, expects reality to adapt to him. Therefore, all change depends on the unreasonable man. So this is a lesson in how we need to nurture a strong sense of positive unreasonableness in ourselves, in our families, in our friends. We need to be determined. We take inspiration from the fact that the Jews were fearless. They took a sheep. They were, they were ready to slaughter a sheep, which was the height of the, the Egyptian culture. They venerated sheep. They worshipped sheep as gods. And to be able to do that takes tremendous courage, determination. We get that courage and determination by aligning ourselves completely with Hashem and no other power. And so this mitzvah has a tremendous lesson for us today and for the rest of our lives. May we be blessed with the ability to implement it fully in all aspects of our lives. L'chaim. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to join us on the Parsha podcast. I'd like to ask you to reflect on whatever we, we just discussed in the Parsha podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts. What are some other lessons and takeaways that you can take from the topics we discussed? Please send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at rmg at jewishwaterloo.com any and all feedback, constructive criticism, compliments, and so on are really appreciated. Thank you so much.